I would like to welcome all of you here, uh, all protocols observed. Uh, my name is Joshua Laichena, and uh, I will be the moderator for the day. And today we are meeting here to be able to converse, discuss, and uh, consult on uh, a few results that we have been able to simulate uh, from the current uh, government uh, economic plan. Uh, the bottom up, uh, which we have been able to see what would be the impact of implementing that plan. And therefore we have lined up um, various things to be able to move on. And because we have um, online uh, participant, we will not start with the protocols first. We are going to hold it and uh, we will continue with the presentations so that now when our CS arrives and the PS, we can actually be able to stop there and uh, officially uh, animate them and we'll be able to continue. Is that in order? Yes. So our first presentation will come from Benson Kiriga. But uh, before then, um, I would want to invite uh, James Talo, who is a senior research fellow from IFRI to be able to make introduction to the presenters who are going to present us the result of the bottom up. Please, James, welcome. Thanks, Joshua. Um, so uh, what we're gonna present today and what, what the two presenters are gonna present today. Hello. So um, what, what the two presenters are going to present today is uh, the results of a collaboration between, uh, between many of us, um, KIPRA and IFPRI and so on. And it's been a very exciting, I've really enjoyed being part of this collaboration, this background brainstorming and thinking through what the bottom-up plan might mean for, for Kenya and for Kenyans. And so there have really been two parts to, to the work that we've been doing. The first part has been uh, digesting and analyzing and understanding the, the, the bottom-up plan. And the second part has been trying to put that into a series of models to try and measure the impacts on the broader economy, but then also the measuring the impacts on poverty and hunger and diets and so on. And so we're gonna have two presentations now, first by, by Benson, who is going to walk through some of the background analysis and the, that initial assessment of the plan, plus some, some macro framework modeling. And then Lenser is gonna walk us through that economy-wide development uh, modeling work that's been done to measure impacts on poverty and food security and so on. So Benson, over to you. Uh, thank you and uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'll present to you um, some highlights uh, on the uh, macroeconomic indicators and also some highlights on the manifesto. Uh, <clears throat> uh, to start with is <clears throat> the highlights on the, um, some of the uh, economic indicators that we have for Kenya. And uh, uh, we see that um, uh, the, the Kenya's uh, macroeconomic environment uh, remained uh, robust. And uh, this is mainly due to 
uh, the economy uh, growing by 7.5 uh, for the year 2021. Uh, and we've seen that um, in nominal terms, uh, we find that the growth uh, of GDP um, uh, has been from 8.5 trillion uh, in 2017 up to uh, 12.1 trillion in 2021. And this that's actually a remarkable performance uh, for uh, this country. Uh, we've seen that uh, okay. this growth has been supported um, by improved performance in the key economic sectors within uh, the country, uh, which are uh, manufacturing that grew by uh, 6.9, uh, wholesale and retail uh, that grew by 7.9%, uh, real estate is another key sector at uh, 6.7, uh, transportation and uh, storage, and, and also financial and insurance uh, activities. Um, also, uh, the, in terms of per capita, uh, they, they consider the GDP and also the population, uh, we find that the per capita stabilized at uh, of a 2,000 US dollar, Kenya, uh, US dollar, uh, US dollar uh, for 2019 uh, uh, to, to 2021, uh, thereby making uh, Kenya to be categorized at a lower middle income uh, levels. Uh, and we've seen that the per capita uh, improvement uh, is from uh, US dollar 1805 in 2017 uh, to 2204 uh, in 2021. Uh, in terms of uh, <clears throat> trades uh, for the other uh, economic uh, indicators, Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, we are, uh, there we have uh, some uh, historical uh, GDP growth and also uh, per capita and inflation. And we find that uh, for 2020, uh, we have our GDP uh, contracting by 0.3% and uh, basically due to mainly the effects of uh, COVID-19. Uh, but we find that uh, inflation um, has been uh, a dreadful uh, of five uh, percent within the policy range uh, for uh, uh, 2017 after 2021, uh, uh, but uh, and also the same case for uh, GDP per capita uh, has been growing uh, steadily up to 2,205 uh, uh, US dollars. In terms of uh, trades in uh, employment and uh, real GDP growth, uh, we've seen. Some, some changes. Uh, if you look at employment, uh, particularly for the formal employment, uh, this has been uh, some small growth uh, depicted by the red bar, the small growth in that uh, uh, formal employment. Uh, but we can see that uh, for informal, it is quite high and therefore there's, there's some growth uh, within uh, uh, the informal sector. And also uh, we can see 2020, uh, all these threads uh, affected. Uh, <clears throat> so those are some of the macro indicators that we're to share with you. Uh, going next to uh, the issue of the uh, manifesto, uh, there are some highlights that uh, we need to present on uh, the bottom-up economic plan. And we see that uh, there's a set of uh, priority programs uh, that aim at uh, bring down the cost of living, uh, eradicating hunger, 
uh, creating jobs uh, and um, expanding uh, the tax base. And we see that um, the key pillars that are expected uh, to achieve uh, this are one, agriculture, uh, and these, uh, there's an issue of having a financial commitment uh, in the budget uh, to the tune of 250 billion uh, Kenya shillings uh, for the years 2023 of 2027. Uh, also, we have uh, another pillar is micro and small medium enterprises uh, sector. Uh, also, housing and settlement uh, budget, uh, the issue of healthcare and digital superhighway. These are uh, the key pillars, uh, some of the key pillars expected uh, to drive uh, 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 these, uh, these uh, expected uh, priority areas uh, within the country. Uh, <clears throat> the, the bottom up uh, economic plan uh, targets uh, to mobilize to mobilize uh, an influence allocation of capital in a way that uh, it generates uh, most benefits uh, to the economy. And, and the other one is uh, also the issue of employment uh, to create uh, employment, uh, but focusing mainly uh, to agriculture and also uh, informal uh, sectors. And within these also uh, to promote uh, income uh, distribution also promote uh, economic stability and also the issue of uh, adequate uh, tax uh, revenues as a way of uh, resource mobilization. Uh, this, the plan uh, focuses on investing uh, the limited capital available uh, and also create uh, jobs. So there is a commitment uh, to invest of uh, Kenya shillings 500 billion over the next uh, five years in the smallholder agriculture and also in the informal uh, sector. Well, some of the uh, policy concern uh, we need to highlight uh, for this uh, is um, for the issues of uh, economic transformation, uh, the plan uh, targets to transform uh, Kenya's economy uh, through uh, the bottom-up economic plan and uh, also uh, to empower the medium uh, uh, small uh, micro and small medium enterprises and the farmers as the aging uh, for this expected uh, growth as well as job creation. Also, uh, another concern is the issue of uh, tax revenue and tax administration. Uh, and these are matters of broadening the tax base and ensuring that everyone pays the equitable uh, share of the tax burden. Uh, servicing public debt and the uh, issue of patent bills uh, so uh, uh, the, the plan is to service the debt and also uh, to, have, to have alternative uh, sources and therefore borrow cheaply and pay the pending bills uh, going forward. Uh, also uh, for employment creation, uh, there's the issue of uh, establishing a hazardous fund that has already been done and also to have a budget allocation to the key sectors uh, to have some enhanced uh, fighting and also the issue of uh, subsidies. Uh, next, um, uh, for these uh, assumptions, uh, we have uh, Kipra and IFPRI having some collaborative work uh, to uh, review the, the plan at subsector levels. And um, we find, uh, for example, um, the issue of uh, targeting increases in uh, maize yields, uh, reducing dependence on food imports, uh, and, and also uh, supporting 
uh, export uh, value chains, uh, issues of uh, renewable energies, universal healthcare, and the rest uh, are the assumptions that have been um, taken care of within the uh, technical analysis within uh, a macro model. Uh, so uh, based on expert opinions, the team has then estimated the expected sector level growth rates uh, for the 89 sectors uh, that, that are being considered for this analysis. And therefore, uh, the results that we have are based on um, these subsector level estimates. And then um, a CG model has been utilized uh, to come up with some uh, technical uh, results uh, that will be uh, presented immediately after this. Thank you very much. And I now welcome uh, Lensa uh, to continue with the presentation. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Benson. Before Lensa comes in, um, I think that those are the preliminaries to show uh, what is outlined in the Kenya Kwanzaa Manifesto. Uh, what is it that the Kenya, Kenya Kwanzaa Manifesto says that uh, they are going to implement? And that is the preliminaries that uh, we have used those figures to be able to simulate what is the impact. Uh, however, before we continue with the other part, we, we are informed that our chief guest is here. We are going to really pause a little uh, because we have invited uh, the uh, cabinet secretary to come and pick that gist of the results. So it wouldn't be nice for us to be able to continue when he's here. Uh, let us give a few minutes as we uh, interrogate uh, the manifesto. So I think, uh, and I know Lensa will be telling us this. We looked at the last um, say 10 years growth. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, the Cabinet Secretary for Treasury and Economic Planning, uh, Professor Njukunandungu, our Principal Secretary, um, Philip, um, uh, from Agriculture and uh, Livestock Development, all invited guests, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time we have been waiting, and uh, we really welcome the CS for honoring our invitation to come and listen to the simulation on the economic modeling of a bottom-up uh, plan. Uh, we understand with uh, some preliminaries on what is outlined in the Kenya Kwanzaa Manifesto. These are the figures that are put there. These are the figures that the team in IFPRI and the KIPRA are put into the modeling. And what the team wanted to see is that what would be the impact of implementing this plan as it is? So uh, you have come the right time. These are the results that we want to present. And now I want to call our presenter, Lenza, to be able to take us through on these simulations and what they mean to the economy. Lenza, please welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Joshua. Um, I'll take you through the bottom-up economic plan modeling results and where we are modeling economy-wide and household impacts for 2022-2027. So uh, this, is, this was a teamwork, and uh, you can see 
some of the names mentioned there, but uh, this is just part of the team that uh, worked on uh, these uh, results. Now, starting off is that uh, the team uh, ran two scenarios alongside others, but the main scenarios that were ran was on the base run and accelerated growth. Now, the base run here is uh, more of the business as usual, and the accelerated uh, is uh, more of, uh, you know, from the, uh, the outlook of the assessment of the bottom-up plan that uh, we, we, we have. Now, we are using the economy-wide model for Kenya. And uh, in this model, it covers all the sectors, uh, that is production and the consumption in the economy. Now, using this uh, model, we want to estimate the impacts of sectoral growth assumptions. I think uh, Joshua has mentioned that uh, the team came up with uh, some targets after the assessment of the bottom-up uh, plan that uh, we have, or the manifesto, we may call it. Now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, we have two main um, you know, scenarios that we are running alongside others. We have the base run, uh, which is uh, we assume that if the current or the recent trends um, persist, uh, and for this, we are talking about the 2009-2019, excluding the, um, the, you know, the pandemic. These are just the normal years as our base run. What, what will happen? And then number two, uh, for the second scenario, is the accelerated growth, which is more, you know, more ambitious uh, outlook, and it's based on the assessment of uh, our bottom-up growth uh, plan. Uh, another thing is that uh, we are measuring the outcomes uh, at multiple scales, uh, where we are talking about what will happen to our macroeconomy, uh, uh, given the you know, accelerated growth uh, plan. In this case, is the bottom-up. Then uh, what happens to you know, the sectoral production and employment or sectoral growth? And uh, another thing is uh, what happens to you know, the household or, uh, or what is the household impact uh, uh, given uh, this plan. So for the household impacts, we are talking about, you know, the GDP income. I mean, we are talking about uh, the poverty, you know, we are talking about food security. Now, let's uh, look at uh, our top right uh, figure, where we are talking about the outcomes of, uh, we are having two main scenarios, right? So we have base run scenario, which is the business as usual, and then the accelerated uh, growth scenario, which is based on the assessment of our, our plan. Now. Even with the base run scenario, the one in blue, the blue line, there is growth, that's GDP per capita. There is growth in GDP per capita. Here we are talking about the GDP, of course, growing, but there's also the element of population. But uh, there is also a still increase in the GDP per capita. Now, uh, the same applies to, you know, the one in red or the accelerated growth uh, scenario where there is a steady increase in the GDP per capita. And uh, by 2027, we are talking about, uh, you know, the accelerated growth being uh, at 2.79, this is in thousand uh, US dollars. And that of, uh, you know, the base run, which is our business as usual being 2.47. Now, for us to estimate the impact of our bottom up or our accelerated growth, then, we get the deviation, the difference uh, between our base run and um, our accelerated growth um, scenario. And here, then we say that by implementing the, 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 uh, the, the bottom-up, then we are going to have, we are going to have 
an additional of $320 per capita. That's a roughly 35,000 Kenya shillings per person, uh, given this uh, um, uh, accelerated growth scenario. Now, the next uh, figure also, uh, as we increase our GDP per capita, then we expect that uh, you know, the population, population also grows down, not unless there is high inequality uh, in the economy. So in this case, so you see you know, the baseline, best run, uh, you know, the, the poor population still goes down, even with the current uh, you know, uh, trend persisting. But then with the um, accelerated growth, then uh, the, the, the poor population you know, uh, goes significantly down. And that translates to you know, 2.8 million fewer poor people if we implement our bottom-up uh, plan. Now, these are the headline results, and uh, let's look at uh, what happens to our macroeconomy, because we had um, different scales for measuring this. From the headline results, we see that the economy grows much faster under the bottom-up plan. And uh, we can see from the figure, the average annual growth rate of uh, the, the base run, uh, uh, you know, the total GDP is 4.8% uh, in the one in blue. But then the accelerated uh, growth scenario, which is our bottom up uh, in, in this case, uh, is 7.2%. So this is the GDP at market price that we are talking about. Now, uh, another element that is quite important, um, the total absorption, uh, the total absorption in this case is the consumption, it's private consumption, we have the government consumption, we have the investments. Now, we, we know that uh, you know, the total absorption is the measure of uh, national welfare. And uh, in that case, also the private consumption is always a measure of uh, you know, the household welfare. So if we look at the figure, we find that the pub private and public consumption demand grows slower than GDP. Yes, you can see the, the private consumption there is 5.9. Uh, 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 which is slower than the 7.2 that we, for our GDP at market prices. And uh, for the public consumption, because we know the government also um, uh, consume uh, when, when uh, uh, meeting its objective, it's at 6.0%. Now look at the investment is at 8.1% uh, and the accelerated growth scenario, but then at um, you know, the base run, it's 3.9%. So we find that uh, you know, the investment uh, growth accelerates, doubling uh, the base run, uh, which is our business as usual annual growth rate. So we have 3.9 and 8.1 respectively for the base run and the uh, accelerated growth uh, scenario. Now, another important element that uh, is key in the that uh, comes out uh, uh, quite uh, well in the manifesto, or rather the plan, is the need to you know improve on our foreign exchange earnings, and you can see the trade position improves sig uh, significantly. This is confirmed from the model that uh, actually uh, it is improved improved significantly. You can see our exports now. You know the growth goes to 11.3 percent from 5.6 percent, and um, uh, this um, compared to the imports, uh, we have the imports, uh, 
uh, we have we have sorry we have the imports that is now at 5.5 percent uh, in accelerated growth compared to you know 4.0 in the base run. So it shows that um, actually the economy is uh, reorienting towards uh, you know export and uh, investment in that case. Now. I had mentioned about uh, you know uh, the private and public consumption demand growing slower than the GDP, and this uh, leads to you know falling in uh, consumer prices. The CPI, the lower, the very lower at the graph, CPI falls from 0.8% to 1.2 per year, and this also is an indication of co lower cost of living, which is highly highlighted in uh, our manifesto or the bottom-up uh, plan in this case. Now. Uh, we'll now go to our sectoral GDP because we have these targets at uh, the subsector level, but the model can add them up to GDP. And now I will go through the headlines for sector GDP. And uh, we have kind of aggregated some of the main uh, broad economic sectors that we have. From the results, uh, you know, we are able to know that, uh, note that uh, the total GDP at the base run uh, for this, this is GDP at factor cost. This is uh, the value added uh, that is created in the economy. It's different from the first uh, GDP that we had mentioned. So this is, uh, we, are, we are having 4.9 growth, this average annual growth rate, if business uh, persists as usual, then with our accelerated growth scenario, then we are talking about 7.4%. Uh, then at, um, across, if you look across the sectors where we have agriculture and agriculture, we have crops, livestock, then we have industry, we have uh, manufacturing and we have services. We find that, uh, you know, additional two, two to 3.5 percentage points growth rates across the sector. So yes, and uh, there is a relatively larger acceleration in uh, agriculture uh, in relative terms. So uh, we can see the agriculture there, we're talking about 5.6. Uh, uh, in, uh, in absolute terms, the agriculture looks slower, but in relative terms, then uh, it, uh, it has a, high, a larger acceleration. It is also important to note that the economy has continued to undergo structural change, even with the, uh, you know, with the business as usual uh, scenario, and uh, that uh, the slower growth in absolute term, that's the 5.6% in agriculture, indicates uh, a slow, a, a lower, uh, you know, productivity in that manner. And uh, faster growth in manufacturing um, also indicates higher uh, productivity. So manufacturing, we are talking about 8.9% uh, 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 growth from our model results. Now, another important uh, headline result that I, I, I need to highlight is the decomposition of growth. Here, we want to decompose the growth into one, uh, you know, capital accumulation. Uh, two, we have the total factor productivity. Then we also have the labor force growth uh, also being uh, part of uh, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, decomposition. Now, uh, capital accumulation is found from our model as an important source of accelerated growth. If you look at the figures on our right, okay, we have the total growth in 2022-2027, and we have these factors of uh, you know, production. We have talking about labor, land, capital, 
of course, uh, we have the total factor productivity. Now, we had indicated that uh, from our accelerated growth scenario, then the investment is expected to grow or will grow by 8.1%. Uh, then uh, from the supply side, uh, that's the construction sector, uh, which majorly also supply you know, the gross fixed capital or uh, the capital formation, to, uh, which is investment, growth at 8.2%. And then the capital stock uh, is growing at 6.6%. Uh, 6%. Then uh, the capital contributes uh, from the figure on our right, uh, we have uh, total capital, total capital in gray, uh, then total factor productivity in blue, labor in green and land in red. Then we have the two scenarios there, the base run and the accelerated growth. Then we have the additional growth, which actually measures the impact of our bottom-up uh, plan. Now, if you go through the, um, you know, the, the, the graph there, then we say that uh, capital contributes 20.3% of the total growth in 2022-2027. That's uh, look at the accelerated growth, um, the, 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 the bar in the middle. We have a total of 43.2%, out of which we can see uh, capital contributing, uh, I mean, uh, having 20.3% of that. Then it also contributes uh, to 3.4%. Uh, percentage points of additional GDP growth in 2022 to 2027. We have the additional total additional growth of GDP to uh, uh, to, to be 16.4 percent, out of which uh, you know capital contributes 3.4 percentage points uh, of that. So that is the impact of uh, you know the bottom-up plan. Now for the total factor productivity growth. We find that it is the most important source of additional growth. Now, look at uh, the, the last bar. We have 12.4% being contributed, uh, additional being contributed by total factor productivity. Then uh, that's 12.4. Then now labor force uh, growth is actually uh, third important from the results, source of accelerated growth, which is, uh, you know, uh, it explains 6.2 points of uh, total accelerated growth for 2022-2027. Now let's uh, look at the investment, which is also something that uh, the government is keen on. And uh, here the headline uh, is uh, result is that uh, we want to um, tease out uh, the sources of investment. How are we going to find, how are we financing, uh, you know, the investment or where are we? in terms of, you know, um, having the investment. Now, there are three sources of finance, uh, financing the investment, and they all grow rapidly from our results. We see uh, the total investment from our accelerated growth scenario, we had 8.1% uh, compared to 3.9% on the base run. But then um, we know that uh, investment, uh, investment cost savings, we have um, three different uh, levels of savings. So we have the private savings, which in this case grows at 7.8%, given our accelerated growth, uh, you know, um, uh, accelerated growth scenario. We have the foreign inflows. Uh, then we have, then we have, uh, you know, uh, we have our public savings. Now, here the public sources are the, they grow uh, rapidly at 43.4.3%, but then it has a small 
uh, you know, share in the total investment at 3.3%. So the most important source here is uh, the private saving. I mean, the private sources that are most important at 66.6%. Uh, now, uh, it's, it's important for me to note the internal consistency within the model. This is an economic model, and uh, it's based on you know, the, uh, the theory, uh, economic theory, as well as the strict accounting principles. Now, uh, upon assessment of our targets, we had some growth targets we had uh, mentioned. One of them, I mean, is construction. And it, it was coming out so, you know, a, a very robust growth. But then within uh, the model, the internal checks, internal consistency that has to be met, the investment, uh, the cons uh, construction is growing substantially, but it's constrained by investment growth because the construction is on the supply side when investment is on the demand side. So the demand, the investment has to grow for construction also to, uh, to find where to supply uh, its, uh, you know, its elements. Then uh, there's also an, uh, an element of the knock-off effects of key construction inputs, which is also has to be uh, on a check. So here, what we are talking about is that this model has internal consistency and uh, we have to, for every target that we have to put, then we have to know that, uh, you know, we have to trade off. So here, modeling faster construction growth will require faster investment growth. And what that does mean, it means that uh, we have to slower consumption. And that has a possible smaller poverty impacts. Uh, uh, the next important headline is on the household impact, which is a social part of the, uh, the bottom-up plan. Now, given the uh, accelerated growth scenario, then we find that incomes and employment rises with accelerated growth. The GDP per capita increases by you know three hundred and twenty dollars per, uh, per uh, I mean per capita, and that's roughly thirty five thousand by twenty twenty seven. There is also additional seven hundred thousand jobs being created by twenty twenty seven, and uh, the rising income of course uh, reduce poverty because we now have two point eight million fewer uh, poor people by twenty twenty seven. The growth also uh, benefits the poorest of uh, the poor in the economy. Now, in terms of food security, which is measured in, uh, in terms of you know, hunger and uh, diet deprivation, we find that uh, 1.5 million fewer and, uh, people are now undernourished. Then also, uh, in this case, we have diet deprivation, which is uh, the opposite of you know, diet quality, and it's declining. So given the growth, uh, this growth scenario, then we are talking about, uh, you know, a reduction in uh, uh, or, or an improvement in the in the diet uh, in that quality. Now, deprivation here is a gap between the household level consumption and um, uh, the household level consumption and the healthy reference diet uh, based on six major food groups. Now, the next important element that I will highlight, you can see it's underlined, is that the bottom-up plan is consistent with its goals. If it's implemented, then we, we shall have achieved the faster growth that uh, we need at 7.2 in uh, you know, the GDP at market prices. We also have job creation that is achieved. We have additional 700,000 you know, jobs created by 2027 based on the growth, uh, accelerated growth scenario. Then we have reduced poverty. We can see 2.8 million fewer people are now uh, uh, by 2027. Then hunger, of course, 1.5 million fewer undernourished people, as well as the cost of living. We see the slight uh, reduction in the CPI in that case. 
So thank you very much for your time. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Lensa. The reason why we said we go on with that, we have quite a large number of uh, online participants. That is where we, we want to do that. At this point, I want to return the program to our executive director so that uh, she can be able to handle um, the preliminaries that we had already uh, jumped so that we be able to continue. Uh, uh, executive director, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, uh, Joshua. Uh, uh, Honorable uh, uh, CS, Professor Jigunandungu, uh, PS, uh, Philip Hasama, Agriculture and Livestock Development, um, my good friend Channing and uh, Clements, uh, and of course, all of us who are here. I have so many friends, eh? so I'll not mention all of them, yeah? Uh, we are very, very happy that uh, you've managed to come uh, to this event uh, today. As you know, we have uh, a new government and the new government has come up with its uh, manifesto, uh, which actually spells out uh, the aspirations in the development uh, trajectory. And uh, what uh, we are discussing today is to ask um, uh, what, what exactly would be the outcome if everything that is uh, proposed in the manifesto was to be implemented 100%? And uh, if it is implemented 100%, we have seen that uh, there could be some very good uh, outcomes uh, that we could be looking ahead. Uh, and uh, given that we have our cabinet secretary, national treasury and economic planning, uh, we also try to give him uh, an indication that uh, as uh, we move forward with the growth uh, projections, uh, that there's quite a lot of support that uh, the government uh, is required to give, not just uh, uh, in terms of facilitating infrastructure and therefore government investments, but also uh, crowding in the, the private sector because at the end of the day, the sources of growth uh, would be uh, coming from the, from the private sector. Uh, I want to give uh, this opportunity uh, to Channing, uh, the Senior Director uh, Transformation Strategies, CGIAR, CIA, Uh, to give us a, a few remarks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rose. Um, thank you uh, to everybody. It's such a pleasure to, I was just telling Rose, I've been talking to Rose about doing an event like this and moving these things forward for almost five years. COVID got in the way, a number of other things got in the way, but it's a fantastic to finally see this happening. And it's it's great to be with Njaguna. Thank you very much. And, and Philip, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm very pleased to be here. Um, yesterday, we had for the CGIR the board meeting for IFPRI and for the whole of the CGIR. And the new chair of the board of the whole of the CGIR said, How are you engaging with institutions in developing countries? I said, Well, tomorrow we're having a conversation with, with Kipra. And, uh, and, and this is just really important. And we emphasize that, Purnima emphasized that as well in, in a number of uh, instances uh, in, in India and, and elsewhere. And, and as Rose is, was mentioning, uh, you know, we're both in, the, in a process of change. Uh, uh, here in Kenya, we have a new president, we have a new plan, 
Um, we want to see what this plan um, might do. At, uh, at IFPRI and in the CGIR, we are in the midst of this, this ongoing reform process. We hope that your bottom-up plan goes, goes very well um, in that way. And, and both of these things, we're really wrestling, I think, in part with coherence, right? We can't do everything. And we can't have everything, right? And, and this is part of what the modeling helps. And this is a standard part that Njuguna is very familiar with. But it's worth reiterating that, you know, there's GDP. We produce goods. Right? We have what we have. We import. That adds to the stock, right? That gives us all that we've got. And then we can consume it. We can invest it. We can spend it on meetings here in government, right? And, or we can send it away to the rest of the world in the form of flowers for export, right? And, and this is uh, a choice and, and this internal consistency that Lensa is, is showing is really nice when you're building up because it's a political plan, right? And you need to now sort through the economics. And I think that's one thing already that, that this approach is helping with. The other thing, which is very important, obviously, President Ruto and, and important to all of the People here it's that it's that it's moving forward that it's you know help increasing the welfare for most Kenyans right? and and I think it's it's not a particularly surprising result given the focus on agriculture and the informal sector but it's really nice to see it quantified that that it's there uh, and and showing up so uh, I'm I'm super pleased uh, to to be here um, and and Rose uh, I, I'm Thanks for organizing this this meeting. So that's that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, uh, Channing. Uh, at this stage, I wanted to invite uh, the PS, uh, Philip Hatsama, to give uh, his uh, uh, remarks and also to invite uh, uh, CS National Treasury and Economic Planning. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. So my, as he has said, my name is uh, Kelo Harsama. I'm the principal secretary in the State Department for Crop, the Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock. So I'm here to represent my cabinet secretary, who is out of the country. He would have liked to be here today. So I would like, he had given me a speech so that I can read for him. So. Honorable Njuguna Ndungu, who is the Cabinet Secretary for National Treasury and Economic Planning. Dr. Ross Ngugi, the Executive Director of KIPRA. Dr. Channing Anit, Senior Director. Representatives of Development Partners, Private Sector, and the Civil Society. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to join you today as we reflect on policies strategies, and the expected impacts of implementing the bottom-up plan on key socioeconomic outcomes. I wish to take this early opportunity to thank the organizers and all participants for your time, contributions, and commitment towards development of agriculture in Kenya. Given that we are transitioning 
to a new administration. This seminar presents an opportunity to inform the policies and programs outlined in the socioeconomic plan. It is expected that this process will highlight the important links between the plan and food system transformation and also present recommendations on transforming food systems in Kenya for a new era of economic growth and prosperity. Kenya's economic growth has been re uh, reliant on performance of the agricultural sector. The sector contributes an average, on average 26% of the country's gross domestic product and a further 27% through forward and backward linkages with other sectors of the economy, including manufacturing, services, transport, and logistics. The sector further accounts for 65% of Kenya's export earnings, providing a means of livelihood for about 70% of the country's rural population and about 40% of the overall population. Ladies and gentlemen, the country's development agenda is spelled out in Kenya Vision 2030 and other government policy documents. In this regard, the government has identified agriculture as a lead sector for economic transformation owing to its potential for quick returns on investments. This is well elaborated in the government manifesto, uh, the president's inaugural speech and the president's Masujade 2022 speech. To generate the desired results, the government has laid out a sound recovery and transformation plan geared towards achieving our national commitments as well as regional and global obligations in agriculture. Ladies and gentlemen, as clearly elaborated in the manifesto and the president's policy directives, the government is investing in inclusive socioeconomic transformation for all its citizens through channeling resources, investments, and efforts at the base of the pyramid. This means bringing along the youth, women, vulnerable and marginalized groups, and indeed Kenyans from all corners across our country. Over the next five years, the government has laid plans to transform the agriculture sector by increasing production and productivity in all priority value chains, increasing land and irrigation, enhancing affordable access to quality farm inputs, better targeting of government investments in the sector, and promoting public-private partnerships as an avenue for sustainable transformation and growth. Ladies and gentlemen, the challenges facing agriculture in Kenya have been well documented. These include climate variability, low levels of mechanization, land fragmentation into small uneconomic units, and little or no value addition. Globally, the sector has been negatively impacted by the effects of COVID-19 escalating commodity prices and disruptions in global supply chains. To address these challenges, the government has put in place interventions to support agricultural research, enhance access to affordable inputs, increase youth participation and digitization of extension services, among others. The government is cognizant of the need to transform the Kenyan food system in the wake of global and domestic challenges, change uh, through research and innovation. Currently, the priority areas in agricultural research include breeding for yields, drought tolerance, and improved attributes for processing. On livestock, research targets uh, improved productivity of livestock and pasture. As envisaged, 
to this consultative process, a sustainable platform for evidence-based research will help decision makers to design policies and strategies necessary to support the implementation of the bottom-up economic plan in agriculture. Given that agriculture forms a core component of our food system, it is important to leverage on innovative ideas and information generated based on data and research. To accelerate the process, the government will endeavor to incorporate uh, evidence in the policy-making process and develop a sustainable food system that caters for present and future generations. On that note, we appreciate the efforts made by key stakeholders such as Kipra and the CGIAR group in championing food system transformation and inclusive growth. It is my hope that uh, through continuous engagement with partners in the agricultural sector, the government will develop a well-transformed and vibrant agricultural sector, which will contribute to the national economy and ensure food and nutrition security for all. As I conclude my remarks, it is my expectation that the participants will find the discussions relevant and the outcomes of this process will be utilized in our policymaking process to support agricultural transformation. Thank you. That is Honorable Medical Inturi, Cabinet Secretary for Agriculture and Livestock. Thank you. I've been following your presentation and I found them very, very important, very relevant and uh, very good strategic directions for policy uh, making plans. I've also seen that the indicators uh, are very relevant to what we have been doing, what we have been planning to do. And uh, particularly with regard uh, to the ability of this manifesto to move our economy to a big level, a bigger level. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. I can get. So with that, I think I want to take this opportunity to welcome our cabinet secretary for finance, Honorabondungu uh, Karibu. Thank you, thank you very much. I didn't know how to behave because I was supposed to invite uh, Minister for Agriculture, CS for Agriculture in my speech to, to talk. Now you talked ahead of me. <laughs> And secondly, I'm also part of Kipra, so if it, if it was a legal tassel here, I would have recused myself in, <laughs> in the legal tassel because um, I'm familiar with Kipra. And, uh, but I think, I thought everybody knew Kipra. When I told my, uh, uh, my, my colleagues in the office that we are going to Kipra, they were actually taking me to Kibera <laughs> until I asked them, where are we going? Changed. But anyway, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy that I can listen and see colleagues. Thank you, Channing, for being around. Can you hear me? Is it okay? So you are coming to check on it? Yeah? 
This one. Oh, th then we put it on. And um, I think uh, I was supposed to invite, uh, to honor Medika Linturi, the cabinet secretary for Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock Development, but he's ably represented by his peers. Rose Gore, I think we have come a long way. Uh, Channing, I think uh, I was telling my colleague that everybody calls me Johanna. And it's only you who has done that today, all, even for the last three months. <laughs> because I'm still, nobody wants to remember my name. It will be forgotten soon. So thank you very much. And those of us who are there. Um, one of the things I noticed is that um, the, 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 the presentation is uh, quite important and timely. And I'm very happy that uh, IFPRI and Kipra are working together. I have worked with so many colleagues here. Joe and I come a long way, Joe Karoge, and uh, so many other people here. And we have mentored so many economists. So I'm very happy that uh, the collaboration between Kipra and CGIR, uh, and especially trying to in terms of reorganizing our thinking with what is really happening currently where we are. And the important objective of this seminar is to share research results on the expected uh, impacts of implementing the bottom-up approach and socio-economic uh, socio outcomes such as food systems, jobs, poverty, inequality, and diets. And as, as I was listening, I found myself in a lot of agreement in terms of where we are going. And of course, for people like us, if you don't see a structural model, you are still asking yourself, what is affecting what? I, you know, it, of course, we are afraid of putting such equations when you see somebody like a cabinet minister, you don't want to put in structural equations. But so for us, we really have to see that. But the, the most important thing is that we are trying to actually provide some answers, some some answers that may be used. And in fact, as I listened, because I didn't know I would make a speech, I was actually focusing on four areas that I think what we have to ask ourselves, where are we starting from? And one of them is, what do you do when you have negative and persistent shocks? And it's, it's, it means that they distort the pattern of uh, economic activity, but of course they tell you that you have some homework to do in terms of reversing them in the first instance. And the second thing is that the big picture and especially from uh, Channing and something that we have struggled with is climate change. And uh, I was actually giving some impromptu discussions somewhere else and said, food security and climate change in Kenya will have to be a major issue. And because essentially we know what happens, especially with climate change and food security. It is causing massive, uh, should I say, loss of lives, massive uh, poverty, massive inequality, and also social conflict is coming out. So we find that in the short period that this has happened, we have shifted a lot of resources to try and resolve loss of life but we also have shifted a lot of resources in terms of preventing social conflict or even reacting to social conflict. So you can see things are becoming quite uh, catastrophic. And the third issue that was really brought out is actually economic management and especially 
trying to reverse institutional failure problems. I, I looked at the figures and when I was seeing the presentation, I see that the growth of 7.5%, and then you have to ask, you have to go back and interrogate, and especially Kipra, we have to interrogate this. I was in a place where I had to defend the, why, why did we move from about 18% of, uh, the target is now like 18% of total, uh, uh, that is uh, tax effort, that is total government revenue to GDP. We moved from 19%, we are now at 14%. Uh, is it the structure of the economy that is changing? And then when you pronounce growth, you know, revenue, tax revenue is actually predicted or forecast through on the basis of growth. Then why is that growth not giving us tax revenue? We have to ask ourselves those questions because they will come to you. Once you present those figures, then somebody will ask, but, but then why are we not seeing the results? And uh, one of the arguments we had before the IMF concluded their report is that, please try to understand the structure of the economy. Don't say that the economy must have, must move to 19% of tax effort, but you, you, then you have, you have to understand which economy are you talking about? Because essentially, if you look at the, seven, the last seven years, what has expanded massively is, pub, is public investment in infrastructure. Okay, it has been massive expansion. But if you look at it, it's not a taxable sector. So in a sense, it's expanding, but the taxable sector is actually, and of course, you know, we talked about, I think there was a point that uh, was made that we were, uh, that we, want, we have to move into crowding in. But the, so the crowding out effect has been quite massive. And the government uh, investment in public investment has actually been like a very severe crowding out system, but it's also like a Dutch disease. It has qualities of a Dutch disease effect. You can see what has happened in, you brought the non-tradable prices, they can tell you something. And if you take that further and say the reciprocal of that should show you the real exchange rate, you should ex understand what is happening in that market as well. So there are so many things we, we can answer. But more importantly, I think uh, when we move into, when we go into institutional failure problem, then we, when we have to ask, I think the target here, and I like the target is that, how do we reverse the capital accumulation? Because essentially if capital accumulation continues in the trade that we have, then we cannot ignite an economic transformation. There's one time uh, Rose invited me and I presented some slides about what is the problem. And one of the things I focused on, let's just focus on capital accumulation. And uh, of course I went further and said, why do we want to replicate the East Asian miracle? Because essentially the East Asian miracle is actually based very much on one, human capital development. And second, actually savings rates were Quite so, in a sense, the capital accumulation was helping those countries to ignite a dynamic economic transformation, which is still moving on. For us, I think, and I saw the figures. You know, if you looked at the figures on savings to investment, savings to G, savings to GDP, uh, the ratio of savings to GDP or the ratio of investment to GDP, then you can show. 
But I also went further and said, when we had a chance to ignite capital accumulation through debt, then there was massive problem, governance issues, which I wouldn't want to talk about now for obvious reasons. But being an economist, I'm, I'm looking at uh, this, that, that, uh, that structure. Um, and that's why, for example, um, uh, uh, we, we, we are talking about uh, institutional failure problem. And even the celebrated what is in the market today is actually the Hazardous Fund, which is actually a market intervention. It's an intervention due to market failure problems. For those of you who, who, who happen to have seen me today, I can tell you I've written a, a lot in terms of market, market uh, the institutional failure problem. But here I would like to make you maybe mention three, maybe four areas that I talked about in the past. And one of them was actually, since we have discovered that the digitization can be the, the process of achieving so many of the things we want, then obviously we have to make sure that nobody is left behind. And if nobody is left behind, then it means that they will come to that space and the, the, the e-platforms are going to help us in terms of coordinating virtually everything else. And finance is one of the most important things. The second thing was that we have to actually talk about interoperable payments platform so that we can lower costs. I think I've gone further and said in my latest uh, publication, and I said that it's going to be very difficult for us to replicate uh, what uh, telcos have done across. But those who are latecomers, what we can do is to negotiate a, a, an appropriate leasing arrangement so that we can actually have an interoperable payments platform. Nobody has talked about it, although I, when I talked about it five or so years ago, everybody thought it was very good, but it's something that I want to actualize. And the third one was actually, we have to have electronic ID system. I don't know whether anybody has gone to, to the to the hustle fund and uh, they are not even asking you for an ID. They are being very clever. They are asking you for your pin. And please don't go giving your pin to anybody. For those Kenyans, you know, they are asking you for M-Pesa PIN. So they are making an assumption that you're already registered. And since you can't register without an ID, that's again. But of course, everything else follows from that. It's very, very important. It is showing that they need, right now, they don't want to ask you for an ID because they don't want to get into that trap that you have an ID, but you have not registered in the process. If you have registered, all your details are there. So it's an easier thing of saying we need electronic ID so that we have full information. Finally, and more importantly for me, I argued that we have to have state capacity and also regulatory capability so that we need to protect the market, develop the market, regulate the market appropriately, but more so protect the market. Those three things are very, very important. Where did we fail? Where did the lane beat us? We worked so hard in Central Bank to introduce the CRBs. We worked so hard with the MNOs to come up with credit scoring, but how they were used, they only be tutored by the regulatory capacity. So I was telling my friends in regulatory authority, uh, communication authority, and the Central Bank, all of them, they didn't see it coming, but it did come. But I wanted to say that because I wanted to introduce the subject matter. The bottom-up approach is about 
making sure that markets work and more importantly work for the poor. And that's why for me, this seminar is timely because if markets work for the poor and more so for everyone, they are going to, you know, I always remind people that it is in the marketplace that economic rents are distributed and shared. One time when I joined the central bank in 2007, a journalist asked me, oh, they're saying that the economy is growing at 7%. The figures you presented were 7.5, you, know, you see. And they asked me, how can you feel it? Can you feel it? So I told this journalist, my, my usual self, then economic growth is not like a train. You wait for it in the station and then you climb in. No, economic growth is felt when you participate in the market. And you can sell even your labor, isn't it? In the marketplace, you can sell virtually. You can participate through labor, or you can invest, or you can even sell. So I said, if you don't participate in the market, then you cannot feel that effect. Coming back to the market, one of the institutional failure problems that we have encountered is the interference and capture of the market. I wouldn't want to go into Stephen Dacos uh, book on the gambling for development, but it, there is a lot of element of truth shining, isn't it? But once the markets are captured, then you cannot get the returns on your own investment. Of course, other people blame everything else, taxation and all that, but we know from Roderick and all the others that if you cannot appropriate returns on your, from your own investment, then you can't invest, isn't it? And the markets doesn't take you anywhere. But for me, in, in the Kenyan case, and especially the bottom up, once markets are protected, they are developed, leg properly regulated, and also protected from capture, then you're going to see returns being shared out appropriately. And they are going to ignite production, increase production and productivity downstream. And what you see upstream is actually increased incomes. That's the essence and critical factor of bottom-up approach. So this seminar is timely as the government is at its initial stages of implementing its development agenda. And why I talked about those issues of the curve, because they are issues that are already there. We talk about them every day, but we want them to be understood. The other day, people talked about Hasra Fund and then the, the money they want to get, but I said, you have to have an idea what you're going to do with the money. And in everywhere, it is the, the, the guys who know what to do with the money are the ones coordinating everyone else. I'm looking at the data every hour. It is coming to us every hour. And I can tell there are people already who are already moving very fast with it. And you can actually tell by how many times they have borrowed in the last few days and they have paid back and they have borrowed again. What are they doing? Look at a roadside kiosk guy. How much does he need to restock his kiosk? Maybe 500 shillings. So he's going to, to, to borrow uh, the 500 shillings. He's going to, to, to buy stock. Within two days, he's going to come back and borrow. So that's the frequency. So we want to make sure that the research recommendations coming up also are consistent with the realities that we face. Somebody was in TV asking, what is 800 shillings going to do with me? That is what my evaluation. After putting all the details, how much I can borrow was 800. I said, but whose problem was it? Is it the fund's problem or your problem? 
Why do you want more money than your own evaluation? And we have to go back uh, to these uh, factors because they are very interesting. And I know majority of the countries are, that are facing similar problems like uh, ours are going to have that same problem of the subjects, of economic subjects who don't believe in, who, who, who do not want, first of all, to start from their own base and try to work out from your own base. We, 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 we can now call it endogenous growth because it's coming back to haunt us that we should have believed in ourselves in terms of growth. But in, in actual fact, we thought we can replicate other growth models, but we should have started from the resources we have, organized them properly and moved on. And that is for us is very, very important. When we started in Kipra here, in 1999, I was almost losing my way because I can't can't remember the last time I was here. I think I've been the last time I was here was more than 10 years ago. Rose. Yeah, yeah. It's more than 10 years. More. Oh, it's even more. Yeah. But the most important thing is we started that in 2000 in, in 1999. And that's the time even the government itself realized that we have we need a tool to guide economic management. And this economic, uh, this modeling and even forecasting is part of that. Everybody accepted. We even developed a macro model and we decided to put it in the treasury so that most people don't tell you. Those days, you couldn't walk anywhere and tell you are told, we don't want theory here, we want practice. But when you ask them, what practice do you do? You find they don't have it. So it's a way of bashing you from ideas that they don't understand. But right now, we have become methodical. We start with what do you achieve and how do you achieve it? And that is for us very, very important. That's why I commend Kipra. And from where I am coming from in African Economic Research Consortium, what we've done is to work with national think tanks like Kipra so that we can actually influence policy and then show the value of capacity. And capacity is also to understand relationships. Indeed, I've seen, for example, His Excellency, the president has been emphasizing why we need fertilizer now, because it's going to be an input for the next season. Okay, and nobody is seeing it that way. But nobody was seeing it that way. Why you want timely inputs is because it's going to be an input in the production process. And that's why I do believe that this work is very, very important. And that's why I collaborate. I, I, I appreciate this collaboration between um, Kipra and the CGIR. The last time I worked with Channing, we were actually working on climate change and central banking. And I was at pains to tell people, look, whenever there was a, a, climate, a surprise shock, like uh, for example, drought, we didn't realize why inflation was becoming so pervasive. But it's because it was coming from surprising. And anybody will tell you, bring down the supply and everything will be sorted out, isn't it? But what is the major problem here? The major problem is that since you don't have instruments on the supply side, except bringing the supply into the market, you have to use demand side instruments of monetary policy, and you have to push or uh, push the economy into a temporary um, recession. But our, we justify that by saying it's good so that if the supply comes back to the market, you 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 have destroyed a plateau of high prices, which it makes sense, but then you have to worry about the economic recession that you induce. But 
the ambition by Channing and uh, his, uh, his team is to come up with surprise side instruments. We are still trying to do, we are still on that. The last time we, and, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't even, we met, we met in Oxford in, uh, is it uh, yeah, September? But I, I wasn't planning to be where I am. Please forgive me if you, if you think otherwise. But I was not, it's only that I was more in the technical team trying to help out in so many things. But I was not planning to, my ambitions are very small, is to sit and write, write an informative paper, make sure that that paper is read, and, uh, and the life continues. And of course, I was moving on with Kipro. But I can tell you that that work is still on. It's going to be part of that. Is it? Why I mentioned climate change and food security, because it is a spinner for us. But even going forward, it will allow us to come up with better solutions or even more solutions that will help us in terms of economic management. And that is what is going to happen. We have capacity, and this is an indication of what kind of capacity we need to build. And that capacity is always going to give us the results that we want. But we do, we do want to make sure that you understand it's not some years have passed by. The, the policy informed or well-informed policy will always achieve the results that we need. But if it is not, then it, it, it doesn't help us. Once you have a presentation like this, you connect the dots. And I always tell my, my fellow uh, where I am, I'm working from and the treasury that if you don't connect the dots, we also don't understand where we are going. Because essentially the economic modeling will give us what are you likely to do so that you get these results. And that is the most important thing that we have. So you're less assured that the results that you develop will be happy with, we use them, we make sure that it works for us so that some years to come, we'll be telling ourselves that it's because we had this conscious plan, conscious targets that we are going to make things work. And uh, they work in small steps, they work will solve one problem after the other. As I said, I am conflicted because I'm part of Kipra. When I sit here, I still believe that uh, I was here in 1999 to 2001. Yeah, yeah. And we developed a, a macro model that actually helped everyone understand how the structure of the economy is. We should be able to be showing how the changing structure of the economy is working and what we really need to make some interventions that are going to make a difference. But more importantly, we want to create, to strengthen this network of those people who know exactly what we need to do, plus those people who will help us do it. And secondary, we now use it for policy making, informed policy making. So thank you very much. I was supposed to actually to invite Rinturi to have his speech, but you can see we have turned it loud. <laughs> so he has already made his speech. So what we really do is to make sure that uh, the, this, this, this meeting has already been opened. We are happy about the results and we are going to work through the results to make sure that we deliver what we want. And uh, down, down the line, we want also a, a summarized kind of uh, memo, uh, not memo, some policy briefs that tell you this is ABCD, this is how we are connecting the dots and this is how we are addressing the reality because once we run away from the Reality cannot be there. So thank you very much for inviting me. I, apparently, I, unfortunately, I think I've loaded with so many meetings. That's why I'm having the phone ringing through and through. We have to do some brainstorming somewhere along uh, Renana Road, then rush back to the office, and then on and on, report back. That is the way things are 
we are in a crisis so it means that everybody should make sure that we help each other in terms of packaging the solutions that we need thank you very much and nice seeing you all okay thanks very much Banasias, uh, uh, for the you know thought provoking uh, uh, discussions i'm very sure that uh, our next uh, presentation which will be on a food system actually will be very interesting for our peers uh, so that you can see the uh, kind of proposals that are coming up actually to strengthen the, the food system. Uh, it looks like our cabinet secretary uh, wants to leave and we shall allow you to go. We are very happy. Yes, yes, yeah, but we shall continue with our meeting. So thanks very much, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. A clap, please. Um, as we release the CS to leave. Uh, thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Um, I, I think um, as technical policymakers uh, here, we have been. Uh, we would say kuchomwa, isn't it? Thought-provoking, and this is uh, something very good. So we want to continue with the next presentation um, from uh, Dr. Karugia on uh, transforming food systems to support the bottom-up economic plan. So, um, Dr. Tari. You are ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Joshua. And uh, I recognize uh, the peers, uh, Philip Hasama, and uh, other uh, representatives of different organizations. Uh, all protocols observed. Um, I'm going to say something about transforming food systems in Kenya, and giving some policy options. Uh, for the for the new, especially for for the new government, some suggestions on what could be done. I think that we have laid out what the issues are, and I, we need not go through that again. But it's important to note that the the bottom up economic plan. Uh, what we have heard from the P, uh, from the CS Ministry of Agriculture and Livestock, from the CS Treasury and Planning, is the centrality of agriculture in really uh, 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 achieving the objectives of the bottom-up economic plan, because agriculture is relevant for the uh, medium, uh, micro, medium, and small-scale enterprises. It's relevant for the digital digitization of the agriculture and so on and so forth. And it's because uh, we know that uh, agriculture, you know, has very uh, significant backward and forward uh, linkages with the rest of the uh, economic sectors. I think um, the recommendations that we have are coming out of a book that has been done by 
Kenyans from different organizations, Kipra, universities, Tegemeo, and others, with the support of the partners uh, from the CGIR. And uh, so very homegrown kind of recommendations. I will call it a 10, 10 point agenda, if you like, uh, and emphasize not all new. And we have had some of the solutions being proposed here by the ministry, uh, by the CS already, you know, uh, included here. But I think the importance of having these recommendations supported with evidence, that's the main value addition that indeed you can defend these recommendations because they are based on strong research. And therefore, if, if you say this works, it's because there is research evidence uh, to support that. And so allow me to quickly go through each one of them. It, it does address the point of what do we do? How do we create these shocks in the economy? Because we are saying um, we will get changes in different sectors. What, where will, what will cause those changes, right? So if we have some things that we can do, we begin to address the question of how do we implement this? Um, what do we do? Where, right? And, uh, and uh, Lensa kept talking about if implemented. So we are moving this forward into, this is what you do to actually begin to implement. Okay, yeah. So, so these recommendations are about harnessing the potential of food systems to address the challenges that we have had and, uh, and, and, and being, uh, been discussing since we started at two o'clock. Next, where is the, yeah, okay, thanks. So the, the, the first thing is to broaden our thinking, our strategic focus uh, from a food security or agriculture to more of a food systems. And because that allows us to focus on what do we do at the farm level, but all the way to moving the food from the farm to the kitchens and even to the tables all the way to the fork, right? And the things that we do. And that's going to be inclusive. If you're looking for ways to involve those that are in the rural areas that have not been affected by the structural transformation that we all seek, the, the food systems approach allows you uh, to make contact with them. Let's also, we're saying focus on subsectors that reduce poverty, create employment, improve diets. And here you want to look at uh, animal source foods, for example. Uh, you want also to look at um, export um, uh, uh, commodities and so on. The other thing is to accelerate the industrialization, commercialization of the food uh, system. Um, if you look at the graph there, the level of mechanization in our country has basically stayed stagnant for the last 50 plus years. We need to do something about mechanization because it does improve productivity. And of course, there are many other things that we need to do to improve productivity. We talk about fertilizers, making inputs available, but also soil amelioration treatments and so on. Value addition, you know, uh, that's emphasized in the bottom-up economic plan 
creating non-agricultural jobs. This is where you think about those backward and forward linkages we talked about because it's agriculture that's the base, but also allows you to create non-agricultural jobs because incomes in agriculture get used and stimulate demand for non-agricultural products. And of course, linking markets to domestic and and uh, export markets, as uh, uh, the CS uh, mentioned several times. Next. Oops. Okay, there we go. So um, again, expanding access to food system activities for smallholders. We know that we have a large proportion of our, uh, uh, food production uh, being undertaken by smallholders. Uh, better targeted and well administered fertilizer subsidy. We've had that, uh, and supporting uh, pro uh, domestic production, uh, ensuring that we reduce the costs. We have had studies suggesting that the cost of of fertilizer is high, mainly because of the inland costs. Yeah. Okay. Then okay, I'm being asked to really go through this quickly. And not to worry, the PowerPoint will be available, but we also have distributed uh, a policy brief that's easy to read and everybody can get a copy, hard copy here, but also uh, online. Um, so you're not losing anything, but let's highlight the key things. We've talked about the digital revolution, the success that we have had. We need to make it broad-based by making sure that those in the rural areas and remote areas have actually connectivity. We can improve nutrition through production and consumption policies. Let's not just focus on production, but also consumption, uh, raising incomes of households and promoting a diverse uh, food production base. We need to provide better opportunities for women to make food systems more productive. This doesn't need uh, uh, re-emphasizing. Uh, the seventh point, I'm going really fast, improve animal health and disease control. And here, the one thing that I would like to emphasize is taking the one health approach that what affects animals affects humans as well and the environment. And we need to bring the different actors, the ministries, the sectors to work together. Funding. I think we have hammered this forever on, isn't it? Yeah, we have had ambitions to raise uh, expenditure to 10% following the Malabo declaration, but we're still doing around 2%. Something needs to change, Bonapiers. Uh, number nine is, is about coherence and, and, uh, and aligning policies across the, the food system. So we need to make sure that what we do in the different sectors, in the different departments, ministries, really is focused on the same visions, objectives, and we have a way of knowing how that is to be done. One way is to think about an overall framework that gives us the vision for the agriculture, for the food systems, uh, the objectives, the roles of the different actors, so that we all go there to say, okay, what is my role in this? And how do we know that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing? And uh, finally, and uh, I'm glad this has been raised, is actually investing in research. 
we haven't done enough, we can do much better, we can make better use of the university facilities, we are investing in university education here, but we are really not getting the universities uh, to give us research outputs, innovations that we could use, and it's a big, in, in my view, big waste. Yeah, I'll post there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kerry. Uh, clap, clap, clap for him. Now, I, I think the details uh, in the policy brief that we have been given, and then uh, the presentation will also be shared uh, to all the participants. So I think it's something that you can be able to reflect on uh, to of the agriculture sector. Um, at this point uh, in time, we have um, two discussants online. Uh, Boniface, could you, can you hear me? Boniface Munene, that is executive director, Youth Policy Cup. Yes, I can hear you well, uh, Mr. Lechena. Thank you. We, you have three minutes to give us some reflections on the, uh, the three presentations that have been done. We are pressed by time, but uh, we would really want to hear, um, uh, because you are youth, you tell us what you think about these presentations so that uh, we can all of us reflect. You have three minutes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Lechena. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to contribute into this workshop. And again, I'm excited because I'm a product of Kipra. I was a Kipra young professional and Mr. Lechena was my chair. Now, uh, looking at the three presentations, uh, I was able to pick, up, to pick out uh, some uh, cross-cutting issues and that is the, the aspect really the youth. And uh, when the CS was presenting, he really emphasized on the aspect of the bottom-up economy. And uh, from our side, because mostly we deal with the policies dealing with the youth, we feel that this is where majority of the youth are going to benefit uh, using the bottom-up uh, approach. Because uh, at, from the presentation, it was clear that uh, the population growth is increasing. And again, the number of youth are also increasing. Again, this aspect of unemployment. So we have the, the population increase, which is not accompanied by uh, employment creation. So uh, implementation of the bottom-up model means that uh, youth are going to be equipped with the skills and the fund. Uh, some people may think that the money that is given is too little, but for a youth who has a dream and who is aspiring to succeed, that's a lot of money, as long as you have the plan. Uh, this aspect of the digital, uh, as long as we're talking about the youth, we can bring them to the agricultural sector if we embrace technology, because this is where majority drive. We can use them to develop the communication gadget to improve the communication uh, between the farmers and the market, the relay of the information. Uh, the aspect of the funding, again, is a key issue among the youth. Because we find that the youth have uh, the ideas, they, they have uh, aspirations to start uh, a business, maybe or agri-farming, but then you see the aspect of the funding comes in, they don't have the money. So even as we implement this uh, bottom-up economic model, it's good that the president thought of it, and it's good that uh, there are no much legal requirements, because that's another bottleneck that prevent the youth from participating in agriculture. You find that uh, you want to access some funding, but then you have to give title deeds and the like, and you find that these are the things that the youth don't possess. So with the, with the, with the Atla FAD, I feel that, uh, again, this is a brilliant idea, and it's going to open 
the gates of investment among the youth. Uh, another issue that is coming out clearly is utilizing the research because uh, you find that uh, youth have written a lot, especially those at the university level. They've written some recommendations, but then what happens to these recommendations? They're just dumped in the university libraries. Nobody looks at them, yet there could be very important policies, recommendations that been put across um, by the youth. If you look at uh, most of the innovations in the agricultural sector, these mobile apps are developed by the youth. And how do they develop it? They develop these apps through such uh, researches. So um, we would really appreciate if uh, these recommendations by the university students are put in practice. Uh, I hope I've not taken much time. <laughs> my former boss, Mr. Lechena, thank you very much. That's my contribution. Very much, uh, Boniface, uh, for the reflections. Uh, do we have Dr. Mimal Kantaria, Agriculture Sector Network Chairperson? Hi, good afternoon, um, ladies and gentlemen. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can hear you. Three minutes to give us your reflections, please. Very quickly. So I represent the whole private sector agriculture uh, sector under KEPSA and KAM and Chamber. Uh, so um, first of all, thank you very much for this report. Um, uh, as ASNE, we focus on value addition agriculture, and I'm happy to see PS is there. And PS, uh, this is probably your first day in the office, so you're probably in the hot seat. So um, we're very happy that you've taken over, of course. Value-added ag uh, agriculture is very important to us. It's not only basic uh, growing of crops. And I want to give you two examples of what massive growth there is in this country. If you look at the sugar industry, the sugar industry in the last two to three years has had massive, tremendous growth in factories all over the country. Factories like Kuala Sugar, all these kind of sugar companies. The amount of investment that's gone into it's tremendous. And I think it's one of the big things that we are very proud of as private sector. The only problem is, one PS, is that you're, you're not, you know, your office, previous office, AFA, was not um, legalizing the new uh, strains of sugarcane and they've applied to your office several times. But if you can apply these new strains where yields go up, you can reduce cost of production from $1,000 a ton to $400 a ton, and we can compete with Mauritius. So I think some of this, you know, quick uh, actions on, on, you know, legalizing the new sugarcane varieties would be very helpful. Secondly, we've already talked about it is the new uh, fertilizer factories, blending factories that have been uh, 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 installed in this country. We have got nine new blending facilities in this country. Uh, including my own at Elgin, Kenya. So there's no need for you to import blended fertilizer. I don't know why the government is insisting on importing blended fertilizer when there's so much fertilizer already in the country, so much new brand new factories have been installed. We've got over $20 million of new investment in, in fertilizer blending in this country. And P.S., if you have some time, come and see our factories. You'll be shocked at just the level of development in the last sort of year. Um, we want to thank government for, for subsidizing fertilizer, but it's, it's excellent because it's, it's, it's done at the production side and you're subsidizing production and not consumption, which is exactly what we want. But P.S., can you please support local industry, buy Kenya, build Kenya, by buying the fertilizer from us, from our factories here in Kenya and not importing the fertilizer. Um, and I'm very happy that, what a P.S., that you're doing it through the e-voucher program. I understand the e-voucher program is back on the radar. And that allows the farmer directly to buy inputs from agro-vet agro shops throughout the country. And that benefits everybody, including us manufacturers. And finally, um, to, the, to, to Kipra, can you please talk to CS? I know he left, I should have said it before. 
But there's 18 billion shillings of VAT refunds that are blocked and he's only allocating billion shillings a month for VAT and withholding tax. The bulk of that VAT um, refunds is in the agriculture industry. If he releases that funding, a lot of companies like Flamingo Horticulture and all the big, fact, uh, big farms can reinvest the, the money into more production and more capacity, which will help obviously the country in the long term. So value added um, manufacturing, agro-processing, um, subsidized production or consumption and refunds of VAT is really the three main things I wanted to talk to you about. But a lot of that I saw was covered in your report, which was excellent. Well done, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, uh, Cantaria. Um, I don't know, we, we, we had invited the Institute of Economic Affairs. Anyone online? Institute of Economic Affairs. Council of Governors, anybody representing Council of Governors online? I guess no, thank you. Uh, at this point, because we want to redeem time, I want to call uh, Dr. Uh, Panima. Uh, I want you to run um, their questions. Either I'm sure participants have questions. They are online questions, which uh, I'm going to be read so that we can they can we can be able to reflect. But we want us to hear uh, whether there are those who are online, those who are on the other room, because there is another room there we are projecting to see whether the there are, there are questions that are arising. Please take over. Hi, thank you so much. Um... Thank you so much for having us here. Very, you know, as Channing mentioned, uh, I think IFPRI, the CGIR, we are absolutely thrilled to have this partnership with Kipra. Now, the good thing about Channing and his role being an economist and me and my role being, being a nutritionist is that we are forced to think about the impact of the kinds of issues that we're working on, on multiple outcomes. Um, and I can see that we have lots and lots of questions over there. I have a few questions uh, of my own as well. <laughs> But let, let me uh, let us start with having a few of the questions online. How uh, is there somebody who's going to read out some of the online questions? I think we should give the people online. Um... Okay, we can we can read some of the questions online. Uh, some are very lengthy, uh, but we'll try and go through them. Uh, but what we realize is that um, most of the questions appreciate the work that has been done and the results. Um, but there are a few concerns. I'll start up uh, where we have uh, Baba, Baba Kramer. And the question is, I'll read as it is. The question is uh, from the previous uh, presentation. I suppose is the one that Lensa has presented. So what is the rationale for forecasting on target increase of maize yield instead of other crops in the economic modeling? The sector for maize is among the most uh, developed in Kenya. Will be good to show if there is more potential for growth when focusing on increasing yields for other crops where technology diffusion has been much lower than that of maize sector. So there's a, there's a question there on, on focusing or refocusing on other crops. Um, there's another question also from Lawrence. Um, and the question is, what are the investments coming from? And I think this also came up through the discussion. The Kenyan government, are we talking uh, serious mechanization? What is the plan for revitalizing the soil after the harvest? And uh, after the heavy reliance on chemical, 
that is the fertilizers. So um, this and how do you raise plants given the climate and environmental conditions? What are the pre what are presence in Kenya? What is the plan for increasing livestock uh, production? So another question there on on climate and, um, and and concern about the soil and fertilizer consumption in the country. And um, so there's another question also on, on where the investments will come from uh, in terms of the energy production for the agricultural activity and processing. Um, I think we can get uh, to there and then probably we can continue later. Great. So, so, so I, those are questions primarily directed to the Kipra team and the IFPRI modeling team. So maybe, um, Lenza, do you want to kick off? Just, just before Benson or Lenza comes in, I think this presentation you will be shared in. Uh, there are appendix slides mm -hmm. which will be shared. It is looking at the growth properties. It looks at crops and other crops. So what was presented, these ones were not covered. So I didn't want them to spend time responding to this about the crop. Please leave that one because this presentation is detailed. It can be able to. It is covering other crops because they are there. Just answer whatever that is not included in that one. Joseph. Maze. <laughs> yeah, well, if those of us who live in Kenya know that when there is no maize, there is no food. So really, maize, maize is important, partly because it's probably the most consumed a uh, 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 single commodity that's consumed, uh, but also it does in, involve many households, if you like, many households participate in its production. So um, it, pay, you know, it, 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 it makes sense to pay attention to it, but I don't think that we have done that at the exclusion of other sectors, right? Uh, so the model, as you had, has eight or nine sectors, and some of those are crop subsectors. Um, uh, maybe uh, um, June can speak to that. So, uh, so they, in one sense, maize is important, but that's not at the expense of other uh, products. Benson, do you all have any Yeah, maybe uh, there's a second room. Can you can you take us to the next room? We see whether there is any question. We we have other participants in the the next room here. We couldn't fit all of us. And do we have any question from there? Any question? I, I think there is any question, maybe, maybe from okay. here. Any in this room? Yes. Any in this room? No. May I ask a question? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, well, I really appreciate you know the the way the presentations have been structured around uh, transformation of the food systems from the perspective of growth, prosperity, and a few dimensions of health and malnutrition. What I'm concerned about is when we think about health and malnutrition, we think about we need to think about a few more dimensions of it. And in particular, I think about the ones that actually cost the health sector the most, which is issues related to overweight, obesity, non-communicable diseases. Um, and, and 
one of the things that we've learned over the many years of working on malnutrition is that, of course, food is one of the biggest risk factors for the health of populations. And the health of populations in, a, in, in and of itself has huge impacts for the economy uh, in terms of, you know, spending, spending and things like that. And so how do we get ahead of some of those issues in this type of modeling work where I think in the past we've been focused primarily on poverty, hunger, and, and some aspects of, of the diet, but is there a way to sort of really move the modeling and the analytic work that helps us look forward to, you know, what is the Kenyan population health going to look like in, you know, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, you have a DHS survey that's coming out, the data collection is still imminent only in 2022. But I think it would be well worth looking at the findings of that and then coming back to this. So I was wondering if any of that kind of um, any of that has been approached so far in this type of modeling, you know, moving us forward towards thinking about overweight, obesity, and non-communicable diseases as part of the portfolio of outcomes one looks at in terms of social outcomes. Um, so that's my question. <laughs> no. It's a it's a very it's a very challenging space for all of us because yeah. <laughs> so um so, so firstly let me talk about the plan and let me talk about maize because I think one of the things that probably doesn't come through clearly enough in the presentation that we've given is that actually it is very much about a more diverse and vibrant agricultural sector. It's not just about staple cereals and and so on. Although there is a goal to increase productivity there. But what we are seeing in our diet outcome, diet quality metrics is that diversification and that shift away from an overemphasis on staples. And in fact, a lot of the agricultural growth, the disproportionate share of the agricultural growth is coming from the non-staples, from the horticulture, from the admittedly high value export crops as well, but some of it is getting onto the plate of consumers. We can track, just as we track number of calories, we can also track the share of the households who are consuming excessive amounts of calories. We just don't report that. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, it wasn't stated as a goal in the, in the bottom-up plan, and so we didn't report on it. But it is something that we can track um, and we can, can report on. There are a lot of nutrition outcome indicators that we would love to, to talk about, child wasting, child stunting, and other things, but we just don't have very strong economic theories that could allow this kind of model to project those kinds of outcomes. But maybe that's an opportunity to collaborate more um, and work more with our nutritionists if, if you feel there are strong theories that link those kinds of outcomes to, uh, to, to economic transformation and structural change. But yeah, exciting opportunities. And maybe we should be emphasizing the outcomes that aren't in the plan in addition to the outcomes that are. Thanks, James. Excellent. Do you want to, you look like you want to say something about that, Channing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great question. It's a really big area for research. I, I don't know the obesity rate in in Kenya. I'm 40%, going to South Africa. 40%, 40%. Okay, I'm going to South Africa. It's right around 40%. Yeah. Um, and that's that's high, right? Uh, and I think there is a, a lot of space to think about coherence between, you know, your production policies, your social protection policy, agricultural production policies, your social protection policies, the uh, those the way those work together in order to to bring that, you know, to try to reduce that down. Uh, there also has to be a bunch of microeconomic work and, and nutrition work that I think, you know, Pranima knows about and, and others to sort of um, nudge people in, in the right in the right direction. Um, uh, one of the things that I've been saying a, a fair amount is 
um, you know, some of our metrics of poverty, for example, are in a way in this environment a little bit perverse because if our metrics of poverty are related to cheap calories, which they are, right? And, uh, and, and the way to get poverty rates down is to make those calories cheaper so that more people can afford them. Then at the same time, if we have a 40% obesity problem, we're also fueling this, this potentially fueling this other problem, right? And so we have to, I think, make a bit of a switch uh, in the way that we conceive of where we are. And, and, a, and a place like Kenya in particular with, you know, well into lower middle income uh, category, uh, uh, it's time to sort of re-up a little bit and, and think about instead of just a calorie threshold for your, your poverty rate, what about a you know, healthy diet threshold, which is in the, in the paper? And I think that is in the bottom up, or at least that notion is, is very much there. And, uh, and, and this is something we'll be presenting um, this week on, on some, some thoughts on how, how we do that at, actually at the World Bank. Um, but, uh, but I think it's a really important um, area and, and, and something where um, a country like Kenya has a real opportunity to, to get ahead, um, to, be, to be a leader uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in a really important area because I mean you, uh, Pranima can fill us in on uh, if you're about 40 percent obesity rate then you have a, a fair number of things that you really want to be looking forward to and and drawing back to just straight um, productivity labor yeah. and, and it links straight into you know into the economy in terms of uh, people's spending as well as health healthcare costs I I will say yeah it, this is a really important time perhaps for Kenya to pay attention to what are all the things that we want food systems transformation to deliver, you know, growth and prosperity? Yes, but if that's going to come at the cost of 10 years from now, you know, incredible, incredibly high levels of non-communicable diseases and healthcare costs and other things, haven't served even, you know, some of the prosperity or growth outcomes quite as well as, as we want to. Uh, and this is a great opportunity because the 40% overweight rates, you actually don't have a very high rate of diabetes. It's less than 5%. The numbers that I was looking at uh, and, and do have, you know, 20% of the population with raised cholesterol, which there are, you know, some health outcomes that, you know, one needs to be more watchful about. Uh, but these things really add up very quickly in terms of costs on the economy, um, these particular outcomes. So it's really something good opportunity, I think, for us to come together and and think really far ahead. Thank you uh, for the opportunity again for all of us to be here. And back over to you, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You you admit that uh, this is quite a mouthful to be able to do it in two hours because we have online uh, um, listeners and who are following us. We wanted to promise you that uh, we will have another seminar that is going to be not here, maybe outside there, where we can be able to have many hours and interrogate these figures. That's number one. Number two, and I think the, the team, uh, IFRI and the Kipra team have said that uh, we, we had to do the analysis at this level, just to, um, uh, to, to do at the uh, macro level. We, we can actually be able to go uh, deep and be able to analyze sector by sector, but we said as a start, let us then do it at, at, at that level. So thank you very much. We may not be able to stretch so much, 
but uh, we welcome um, questions, we welcome uh, yes, concerns, so that as, as we continue uh, processing uh, this information into briefs, then we will be able to have uh, your comment and uh, reflectance on that. Uh, at this point, I want to call Dr. Clements, uh, uh, to speak uh, for three minutes, uh, uh, maybe to close. I am actually reducing your time because we are very pressed. Uh, from there now, um, our executive director, Rosgoge, will close for us, please. Thank you, Joshua. So I think this was an excellent example of a national policies and strategies project, let's call it that way. As you can see on the banners, there are three main priority areas for the NPS initiative, how we call it. And if you look at the, the first priority area, it's about policy coherence. Now, what have we done here? We brought together different ministries to talk to each other. We link economic growth to nutrition. And we have a model that actually builds in coherence between investment construction and, and, and other things. So um, I would say tick. <laughs> so then the next, uh, the, the next uh, main priority area is integrating tools. And what we are doing here together with Kipra, also KMBS and others is really co-creating tools that can produce that evidence policy making that I think um, the PS and the CS are, are very much uh, appreciating. And this is just the beginning of the journey. We have started this journey with, with Rose and Kipra maybe a year ago, and we have still a long way to go uh, on that journey. And then the third one is responding to policy demand and crisis. Um, today, we focus on the, the policy demand we have heard really appreciated if this kind of rigorous research comes at the at the right time and can really feed into uh, the policy making uh, process and and we really hope um, it's it's useful uh, we took note we got some homework to do rose i think uh, we'll, we'll we'll convert this in in some policy briefs and i think we also got a lot of new ideas including more on the nutrition side um, we, we, we took notes of, of, of your comments, Excellency, and, and also on Jibuna's uh, comments. So we, we, we'll continue to work uh, hard. Um, let me conclude by thanking, uh, first of all, Kipra, Rose, uh, Joshua, and your team for all the collaboration that went into this kind of uh, workshop and also the organization, the IFPRI and the CGIR team. Um, it was great to have uh, Channing and Ponima with us here. Um, thanks to uh, everyone else, uh, jo Joseph, Lenza for presenting and everyone for participating. Thank you. Yeah, I would uh, say uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a great day today. As um, Channing uh, indicated, we started uh, thinking about uh, this kind of collaborations long, long time. Uh, but I think he had to send somebody to actualize and Clements actually actualized uh, everything. Uh, as an institution, uh, we, we have one key mandate and that is uh, to create, or oh, sorry, to, yeah, to, to come up with uh, platforms uh, that would enable uh, stakeholders to exchange views, 
in the policy uh, policy space, and we consider therefore this policy seminar as one of that key uh, mandate that we are fulfilling as an institution. Uh, we are also meant to not just uh, work alone, we are meant to do collaborations. And that is why we are here with IFPRI. That is why we have uh, brought uh, so many of our stakeholders uh, to uh, this uh, seminar. And uh, the whole idea is to say that uh, in promoting evidence-informed uh, policy process, all stakeholders must be part and parcel of that. And uh, whatever uh, ritual that uh, they would uh, uh, come up with is what is important. Today, we have our peers. And uh, uh, peers, we work very closely with the, with the ministry. And uh, I think very soon, we'll be having something coming up. Uh, looking at uh, uh, matters uh, to do with uh, uh, there's some data that that had started being put together, but I'll also tell you that uh, with the within the initiative that we are having with the uh, with IFPRI, we are already uh, talking about uh, uh, expenditure tracking at the county level. I I remember somebody told you about the Malabo uh, uh, declaration. And uh, we have that initiative that uh, we've already started with the uh, IFPRI. And the whole idea is uh, actually to help you, Bona Pies, uh, to see to it that uh, even at the ground, agriculture is uh, getting the attention that is expected. Eh? Um, as a country that uh, uh, really relies heavily on agriculture, we cannot. Uh, forget about uh, uh, promoting um, uh, the productivity of the sector. Uh, even as we, as we talk about manufacturing, manufacturing actually in Kenya is dependent on agriculture. It's agro-processing. So anytime agriculture goes down, manufacturing also uh, comes down. So uh, I think as uh, Clements has said, uh, we have an assignment uh, to do the policy brief, but also uh, to see uh, how we can also integrate the aspect of climate change. I think uh, the CS has uh, re-emphasized the, that that's where they began with the, um, uh, with the, with the, with the churning. So we'll see how also, uh, maybe in the next uh, step, eh, how to, to bring this in. And I'm also very happy with uh, the comments that uh, we, we need actually to, when we think about uh, uh, the outcomes, yeah, we look at them more holistically, not just uh, thinking about poverty reduction, but thinking about uh, the dietary aspect and the NCDs, because that has implications also in other sectors uh, of the of the uh, of the economy. So for me is uh, to thank all of you, uh, those that I've met before, those that I've not met before. I know I have I've met uh, Dr. Karogi. Actually, why are you not in Kipra at some point? So, so. so, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't deny that uh, <laughs> he was part of this uh, uh, Kipra. Uh, she was also stolen, no, not stolen, but uh, we trained and she jumped into IFRI. So we are very happy to see her. Uh, my team, uh, there is uh, Benson Kiriga who did the presentation. Uh, we also 
also have uh, Dr. Kihiu, who are part and parcel of uh, cracking the numbers. And of course, uh, uh, Joshua Laichena, uh, they have made this come true. I, I, I can tell you, we didn't have a lot of time. We had less than two months, yeah? to do this work because when Clemens told me and I told him I'm not I'm not letting go that opportunity so we are going to do the best we can to actually deliver and I'm very happy that uh, we agreed uh, to to move on so thanks all of you and we hope that in future uh, you'll be able to participate and uh, make uh, your input uh, public policy process is not for Kipra public policy process is for all of us. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we are not forgetting that we have an online participant. We really want to thank you for staying with us. I can see the numbers there. You can be able to see how many they are. I'm not very sure whether I can be able to see, but they are quite a number. The others who are in the other room, we want really to appreciate you for coming here, listening, and appreciate that uh, we didn't keep you the other room not because uh, we didn't want you to be here. The rooms are small, but we thought that uh, this seminar must be in Kipra to own it. The other time we do it in the, in, the, in the hotels. So next time we are going to do it in the hotel where we can be able to look at each other. So we want to close. Uh, I also recognize uh, Shandra case. There Shandra is also part of the team. Yeah, so uh, we have been working together, the others who are in uh, Machakos, and uh, we, we, we are working together with them. Thank you for the technical team and everybody else who made uh, this to be a success. Asante Nisana. Thank you.